talking about attitude. So it seems like a bit of a topical. It is topical. We're going to deal with it in one day, and we're going to talk about these attitudes. And the reason why I call it attitudes is we're going to look at people's attitudes to Christ. I mean, he's literally days away from crucifixion. And we're going to look at how people's, you know, well, here's the definition like I was saying about attitude. Here's the definition. I think this is a really good definition, actually. The first one I came upon. An attitude is a predisposition, so it's kind of like how you're wired, or how you've come about to wire yourself through handling certain situations in life. So, predisposition, or a tendency to respond, so it's about responding to certain situations in life, either positively or negatively, okay? Towards certain ideas, objects, or objects maybe, person or persons, situations. So different things in life, how we respond to it, positively, negatively. Attitude, it, this is really quite key, I think. Attitude influences an individual's choice of action. So the way how you see things, perceive things, the way you respond to things will actually determine the way how you act in accord to these things. How you respond to challenges, um, Incentives and rewards. So with that in mind, and I'm going to kind of use that definition as kind of a backdrop to how we look at these four attitudes. Let's get into it then. The first one, attitude number one, which is a negative response to the person, Christ. Okay? And that's seen in Matthew 26, verses 1 to 3. And the text goes like this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away. So this is Wednesday, if you will. Okay? This is the last week of Christ's life. He's waiting for the, you know, the Passover is coming. Two days away. The Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. I think this verse, is, especially this statement right here, is very profound. Because it's almost like he just opened the floodgates. And bear in mind, this is Christ. Christ knows what's up. Christ is in control. Okay, no one came and stole his life away. He said, hey guys, listen. Two days. The Son of Man is going to be crucified. Emphatic. Will be crucified. Not, I think there's something brewing. We need to be careful, guys. No. He says, I'm going to be crucified. That's a fact. I like that because then the word comes next. Then. It's almost like Jesus said, okay, I'm ready. I am the lamb who is ready to be sacrificed. So he knew, he purposed. Why? Because he's one with God. This is God's will. I'm going to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people get together. They assemble. And the interesting thing is, this is these are the people who are supposed to serve. These chief priests and elders are supposed to serve the people. It is they're of the people. And there's some irony in this. As we look at this, it's like, are they doing the people a great disservice in, in assembling to conspire against Christ? Or are they serving the people and getting together? It's interesting how you look at it because, in a sense, these people are 
They're tools. God's will will be done. And they're just instruments or tools. I'm going to use that word a lot today, so beware. They are. Because think about it. They, what does a chief priest do? He prepares, makes a sacrifice for the benefit of the people and God. Well, what are they doing right now? As they conspire against God, ironically enough, they're preparing a sacrifice for the benefit of the people. Isn't that interesting? So, what they're doing is immoral from their subjective perspective. They're conspiring against a, a man, a person, to kill him. Innocent man. And that man is the Messiah. So that is immoral. But the funny thing is, even though they were doing something that's a negative attitude, a negative response to Christ, God's using it. God's using it. So here, these chief priests, elders, they're, they're assembling in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and then they choose an action, you know, based upon their negative attitudes. And the action is this, in verses 4. And they schemed. So they planned. They schemed, they planned to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. So that's what they want to do. How do they respond to Christ? We have a negative attitude. We don't like Christ. We don't like what he's doing. Let's get rid of him. He's causing us problems. Let's kill him. But they say, not during the festival. Because there may be a right among the people. So again, they're afraid of the people. But they're supposed to be serving the people. Interesting how that works that way. Now, another note I made, and this is, again, in conjunction with what I've said just previously here, in thinking about how they're scheming to arrest and kill him. Again, this is God's plan. In the timing even, look at the timing. They said, let's not do it during the festival. But the funny thing is, it does happen during the festival. Because they have a limited amount of ability here. Because they see they have to do things according to God's will. Yes, killing him is part of God's will. The timing after the festival, no. This is supposed to happen during the festival. That's, that's a part of God's will. So these men were, in fact, instruments, or I prefer the term, tools used to offer the supreme sacrifice. It is according to God's will that this be done. God used their negative attitudes to accomplish the ultimate good. It is in all keeping with God's plan, even the timing was determined by God. They thought they were going to wait, but God said, no, the timing is now during the festival. So the next slide, please. We have a second attitude. The second attitude is a positive attitude, a positive response the best of our worship and service to Christ the King. So here he is. He is waiting. He is looking towards the cross. And here is a good, positive response to it. It is worship. It is service. And we see this in Matthew 26, 6-7. While Jesus was in Bethany, and I put this a flashback to four days ago, the reason why is because the parallel stories in John and, they, and they, 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 they mentioned that it was six days before, you know, the crucifixion. So, so this is a bit of a, of, a, of, a, of a kind of a rewind. And the reason why is they're trying to introduce Judas the betrayer. And this is how we introduce him in his heart through this situation in Bethany. So while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar. Now I want to think about this alabaster jar. This is a very precious jar or box. In fact, I made a note of it right here. The ancients considered alabaster to be the best material in which to preserve their ointments. Breaking the box or the jar probably means breaking the seal. Okay? So it was sealed. It was one unit. And so it was beautiful. It was precious. It was valuable. So to break it is to use it. It's to expend. You don't just say, oh, 
yeah, a little bit, no. And it's safe. I'll use it for something else. No, it's to consume it. So she took this valuable item and says, I'm going to consume it upon Jesus. I'm going to give it all to Jesus. Now, I'm not just going to use a little bit and then save some for me for later. I'm using it all for Jesus. All for Jesus. Very expensive perfume she used. And she poured it on his head as he's reclining on the table. Now, there's a parallel story, like I mentioned. It's in John 12, 1 to 3. And it says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Okay, and then we have more details. We have Martha here serving while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So we have a couple of names here associated with the scene. Then Mary, look what Mary did. Mary took about a pint of pure nard. So here is Mary. So Mary was that woman who used that, opened that expensive jar and used the expensive perfume, okay? And she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. Just imagine this being in this worship service, if you will, this adoration, this love, this care for Jesus. And we're going to look at the exact reason why she's doing this. But just embrace the fact that here she is doing something very loving. And it's a cost to it, a great cost. First of all, the alabaster jar, like I already mentioned, was a very, it was an expendable act. It, it cost. And once it was spent, it was done. The pure nard. Now, in the Greek, it's anardos. So she gave Jesus, a cheeky nardos, if you will. Cheeky, cheeky nardos. You see? He's like, hey, Jesus, you are a legend. So, I let's give him a cheeky nardos. And that's what I have written down here. The head, nardos, or spike of a fragrant East Indian plant, which yields a juice of delicious odor, which the ancients used in preparation of a most precious ointment. So it was a very valuable, very expensive. In fact, we're, we're going to learn in a moment how expensive it was. But I just want to make this point very clear in the next slide. What we see here with Mary, in the next slide, is that she believed. She believed in Jesus. Her service, her worship, was in conjunction with her faith and belief in what Jesus is and what he was doing. Now, here's a direct quote from a commentary I read from the Bible Knowledge Commentary quote, and I thought it was so well written that I just wanted to put it on the slide. Because think about this. Jesus had spoken several times of his coming death. This is not new news, but the disciples did not seem to believe his words. They didn't really take him very seriously. But Mary took him very serious because she was basically preparing him for death and burial. Mary believed and performed this act as a testimony of her devotion to him. So this is devotion. This is worship. This is her giving to Christ something valuable. Believing in him. Believing in his mission. Trusting in him and what he is doing. Mary believed. This is a good attitude. This is the right attitude. Next attitude in the next slide is a bad attitude. Regardless of negative responses to Christ, even from those from our own team. So, again, in fact, having this sense of worship in and amongst other negative responses. And here we have another negative response to Christ. And it could even come from those within us. And their poor attitude, their poor behavior, their poor perspective on worship, even your worship. You see, 
when, when Mary performed this act of worship, others didn't like, didn't approve of her worship. And they spoke out against her. You shouldn't worship God that way. And of course, Jesus will rebuke that person. But look at the person who rebuked him, by the way, in his, his character. And we're, we're going to see that right now in the next few verses. So in Matthew 26, 8 and 9, it says that when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. And interesting, because in Matthew, we have a they, a plural situation, the disciples. But in the John, which we'll get to in a moment, it's a singular. And I wonder how the one person can affect many people, if we're not careful. So they, the disciples, were on board. And let's look at the character of the person they were following and on board with. Again, we'll get to that in a moment. So they, the disciples, were indignant. Why this waste? Is it a waste to give all to Jesus, I ask? Is it really a waste to give all to Jesus, to give him the most valuable, precious thing in your life? According to the opinion at this moment, it's a waste. They asked, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. This is what we call in the philosophy a red herring. <laughs> They're trying to distract from what's genuine. Oh yeah, but we could do something better or different with it. And look, isn't serving the poor a better thing? It's distracting from what was really good and what was really happening and what was really have, having to happen at this moment. And here's an interesting fact. There will be people in your life who will tell you, even with the best intentions, that your worship is impractical. Oh, you shouldn't do things that way. These will always assume that they know God's will for your life better than you. But be aware. Because while they might be right sometimes, there also might be Judas or Judas eyes amongst us. Judas, what's his heart's motive? Okay. Well, here he is in John. 12, 4 to 6. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him. That's his heart. That's his attitude. That's what he's all about. Betraying Jesus. Who are they following? They're following a thief who is also a betrayer, a traitor against Christ. These disciples were influenced poorly by the wrong fella. Why wasn't this perfume sold, says Judas, and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So put that in your mind. It's important. A year's wages. That's how much this perfume cost. A year's wages. Okay? For me, that's about six grand. For many of you guys, it's probably about 50 grand. I'm just joking. But anyways, think about how much this is in value. All you, the money you get throughout the whole year, spending on an act of worship. So he was mad about this. Okay? He, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, by the way. Not my words, that's his words. He did it because he was a thief. He won money for himself. He was a keeper of the money back. He used to help himself to it. I have a little bit here, a little bit there. So consider again the effect that this thief had on the disciples. Be careful. Next slide, please. So, in conjunction to our service to Christ, and our service to Christ, by the way, is the ultimate humanitarian act. When we serve Christ, we serve people. And when we serve people, we ought to be doing it out of service to Christ. All other humanitarian acts should be consequent acts of our service towards Him. Does that make sense? So even when we serve others, it should be because we're serving Christ. So again, Matthew 26, verses 10 to 13 says this. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, this is Jesus' response to the bad attitudes. Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. 
but you will not always have me. So again, you will always have these opportunities. Okay, it's good to serve the poor. We've already talked about the fact. He talked. We talked about last week, and I'm gonna. I put down here Matthew. This reminder that when Jesus said that when you did for the least of these, you know, caring for people, you did this for me. And for the rebellious ones, when you did not do it for these, you did not do it for me. So we know that Jesus is very interested in our care, our humanitarian acts. We have plenty of opportunities, but here was the ultimate opportunity. It was to prepare Jesus for his impending crucifixion and death and burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. There's a timing issue here. When she poured the perfume on his body, she did it to prepare me for burial. So she recognized, and he recognized the fact that he will be buried. And this is a part of her worship preparation for that. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached of the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Again, even this simple act of worship, devotion, it's attached to the gospel in a sense. You know, this faith, this, this belief, this picture of adoration and longing and worshiping and serving Jesus. Next slide, please. The fourth and last attitude is here follows. And again, it's in conjunction with Judas, once again. The final negative response, and that is just full-on betrayal. Just full-on just turning your back on Christ. That's it. I've had enough of Jesus and this church business. I'm done with it. Okay, Matthew 26, 14 and 26 says this. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me? If I deliver him over to you. So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. I researched the value of that. And we know it's enough to buy a field. Some say it's about a half a year's wages. Some say it could be as much as a full year's wages. So we have a full year's wages wasted on barrel spices. And we have a full year's wages being wasted on Judas's betrayal. Interesting, isn't it? From then on, Judas watched. And he watched diligently. Because it was only a matter of... 24 to 48 hours before he got him. He watched for opportunity to hand him over. This is a bad attitude. Attitude of betrayal. And for Judas, I believe it wasn't just about the money. Because he always had access to funds. Remember, we just read that in John? He was constantly picking at the coin purse. If he wanted something, he can get it. So it wasn't just about the money for Judas. He hated Jesus. This was about Judas's inability to submit to Christ. How dare he allow this waste of money? Again, control, defensiveness. You know what I'm saying? I should be the one controlling the money and how we spend it. Not Jesus. Who does he think he is? Allowing this woman of all people. If it was a guy, I might be okay with it. But a woman? Who should she think she is grabbing this expensive one-year wage bottle or box or whatever it is, busting it open and pouring it on Jesus, and he lets her get away with it. I'm sick of this Jesus. I'm sick of this Mary. I'm sick of this Peter. I'm sick of this John. I'm sick of them all. That's it. I've had enough. That's a bad attitude. And when there's too much self, there will never be enough room for Christ. I'll say it again. There's too much looking self-preservation, looking at oneself where I belong, where I fit, where I need to be cared for and loved and appreciated. There will never be enough room for Christ. 
In the, by the way, this is what he purchased with his 30 gold pieces, in case you're interested, or silver pieces, in case you're interested. It says that with the payment he received from the wickedness, Jews body fields, there he fell headlong. His body burst open, all of his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field of their language, Akeldama, that is the fields of blood. I'm not going to comment on the fact that he couldn't even hang himself properly. He actually had to fall and break his intestines open on the ground. But regardless, let's consider the connection, the irony, what we're led right here. So both received about a year's wages. What's the matter, Danny? What's that, Danny? Is it crows? Sorry. Okay, yeah, yes, yes, I know. It's, I, I didn't want to go there, but it's just at a point of the obvious. But it's interesting because look at what we have here in this picture here. Okay, both received about a year's wage. Okay, Judas, 30 silver gold pieces. Christ, an alabaster full of pure nart. But both gave their lives. One, Judas, got a feel of the blood. The results is, well, we're laughing because he couldn't even hang himself properly. In the field of blood, an eternal shame because of his bad attitude. Christ, he got the cross. And the result is eternal life. Not just for, of course, him, his disciples, but for us as well in the world. So something to think about. Let's finish off the next slide. This is the end. We're going to summarize this. Here's the summary. Here's what we learned this morning, ladies and gents. With attitude one, we learn don't become a negative tool to accomplish God's will. Rather, submit to the authority of Christ and become a positive tool. So either way, you're going to be a tool. So be a positive one, not a negative one. You see, in attitude two, we learn this. A positive tool for Christ. Give him the absolute best service that you could possibly give him. Give him your everything. That's what we learned in attitude number two, right? With Mary and just... Hey, I'm just going to give it to God. In that illustration, that example I gave you guys. Be positive. You're going to be a tool. Be a positive tool. Attitude three, be careful of the negative attitudes of others around you. Don't let it infiltrate your heart. Do not be used yourself also as a negative tool to bring others down. Okay, so we've got to be careful. Don't be influenced by others and do not negatively influence other persons. Please. Attitude four. If you do not get a hold of your negative attitude now, okay, if you're aware of it, then don't let it go unchecked, unnoticed, uncared for. Un Repent, basically, is what I'm trying to say here. Change. Don't let a negative hold attitude get you down. When you become aware of it, deal with it. Because, you see, you may eventually be like Judas and had enough. That's it. I've had enough and turn against Christ and his disciples. So the bottom line is this, if you put this all together. The bottom line is this. We are all tools for God. We're all tools for God's use. It's up to you to decide if you'll be a negative tool, one that is not fit for the kingdom of Christ, or kingdom of God, like Judas and the chief priests and the elders, these tools that were used negatively, but yet still used to accomplish God's will. Or, you can be a positive tool. One like Mary, Martha, and the other disciples who served, worshipped the King Jesus, and were not afraid to give them their best. They were not afraid to give them everything, anything, 